Got 20 minutes? Then you have time for a Bible study. Jesus, name above all names, I worship you. Jesus, worthy to be praised, I worship you. Welcome to another episode of 20-Minute Bible Studies. Romans 10:17 says that faith comes by hearing, and hearing by the Word of God. Over the next several minutes, you're going to hear an important message directly from God's Word and have your faith and knowledge increased. All you have to do is listen. Now, here are your teachers. Hey everybody, I'm Jordan Pine. And I'm Andy Baylog. Let's get started. You know, Andy, a few weeks ago, I visited a friend's church, and the pastor read the passage that we're going to study today. I listened eagerly, you know, waiting to be fed from this passage as several obvious questions arose, and we'll see if you listeners have the same experience. Unfortunately, my curiosity wasn't quite satisfied. You know, don't get me wrong, the, the sermon that followed was, was good, pure milk, and I'm sure many of the believers in attendance were fed by it, but, you know, it just wasn't the meaty message for which I was kind of hoping. You know, but again, the Word of God does not return void, and because of that message, we get to dig in today to the meat of this passage in our 20-minute lesson. Excellent, Jordan. Let's listen now to the Word of God. A reading from the Gospel of John. So when they had finished breakfast, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? He said to him, Yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said to him, Tend my lambs. He said to him again a second time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? He said to him, Yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said to him, Shepherd my sheep. He said to him the third time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter was grieved because he said to him the third time, do you love me? And he said to him, Lord, you know all things. You know that I love you. Jesus said to him, tend my sheep. That was the gospel of John chapter 21, verses 15 to 17. Before attempting to interpret scripture, we always use what we call the SPACE method. Now the word SPACE is just an acronym that we created to remind Bible students to consider the following. Who the speaker is, the letters SP. Who the audience is, the letter A. And the context, the letter C. Before attempting an explanation, the letter E. And when we put it all together, we get the word SPACE. So right now we're going to use the SPACE method on today's scripture reading. And I'll start by saying the speaker and the audience are clear from the passage. Jesus is talking to Peter. Very simple. And there are several other disciples also in attendance, and we'll see about that in a moment. As for the context, it's after his death and resurrection, which sounds kind of strange when you first say it, but again, Jesus rose from the dead, so he had died, risen again, and this conversation happens after that. You know, according to John 21, 14, This was the third time that Jesus was manifested to the disciples after he was raised from the dead. And that's a quote. You know, technically, Jesus appeared seven times before this appearance. 
His first appearance was to Mary Magdalene at the tomb. His second appearance, which is recorded in Matthew 28, was to the Marys, plural, while they were on their way to report the empty tomb to the disciples. His third appearance, which is recorded in Luke 24, was to two disciples on the road to Emmaus. And in that same chapter, Jesus also appears to Peter, verse 34, and then the disciples when doubting Thomas wasn't present, which is in verse 36. Later, he appears again to the disciples when doubting Thomas was there, and that's that famous story where he feels the, the uh, nail holes in his side, and that's in John 20, and then comes the appearance that we are studying today. So, although this is technically the seventh time he appeared, the scriptures obviously mean that it's the third time he appeared to the gathered disciples, the, the core group there, specifically those who belong to the original 12. Yeah, Jordan, great point. And, in, you know, according to John 21, verse 2, the group here included Peter, Thomas, Nathaniel, who was also called Bartholomew, the sons of Zebedee, who are also known as James and John, and two others who are unnamed, according to Scripture. Now, they had gone out fishing together, but the Bible says that they caught nothing. And then we read the following in verse 4, and it says, But when the day was now breaking, Jesus stood on the beach. Yet, here's a key verse, yet the disciples did not know that it was Jesus. Now, there's an odd blindness, if you will, that occurs here that we also see in several other post-resurrection encounters. Remember, Mary did not recognize Jesus either when she thought that he was the gardener, and we see that in John 20, verse 15. Right. And then, of course, the disciples on the road to Emmaus didn't recognize Jesus until Jesus actually, quote-unquote, opened their eyes at the end of their talk, at the end of their prayer, and you could read that in Luke 24, 13. So, Jordan, let's look a little closer here at verse 12 of our text. Okay. Um, Jesus said to them in verse 12, come and have breakfast. And again, we see this strange thing. None of the disciples ventured to question him, who are you, knowing that it was the Lord. So, it's kind of a sense of they knew it was him, but maybe not by appearance. And uh, verse 13 says, Jesus came and took bread and gave it to them, and the fish likewise. So, you know, they seem to know Andy, but they're not fully sure again, even up close. Why is that? I would say that it's God's plan that he doesn't want to startle people for some reason, according to scripture, when they first appear. I think that what what God is trying to show us as readers is when when we're seeing, hypothetically speaking, through our body eyes, our carnal eyes, you know, things don't seem the way they appear. We see things maybe the way we want to perceive them. But then in the moment when God turns on that spiritual lens, right, those spiritual glasses, now we see really God's plan behind it. And I think that's, you know, just for these details, I think that's what God's plan was when we read these scriptures. Yeah, I, I like that, uh, that possible explanation because, you know, it, in that sense, you're saying it, it could be a, uh, also a type of their spiritual blindness or lack of faith. Because remember, yeah. all the disciples were really surprised to see Jesus after his resurrection. And it wasn't just doubting Thomas. That, and they really shouldn't be. They shouldn't have been, right? Because like you see, for example, in Luke 24, Jesus rebukes them and he says, why are you so frightened? Why do you doubt? Look at my hands and my feet and see who I am. Touch me and find out for yourselves. And he adds in verse 44 of Luke 24, While I was still with you, I told you that everything written about me in the Law of Moses, the Book of the Prophets, and in the Psalms had to happen. So there's this sense of they, you know, they're, they're, they didn't have the right faith. So perhaps we can, we can hypothesize that 
that's why they they didn't recognize him. It was as a type of their sort of spiritual blindness, as, as you were suggesting. Yeah, no, I I agree a hundred percent. I mean, it's it's pretty obvious, you know. And and if we could kind of pull this into today's world, right? Well, how does that affect us today? You know, you get up in the morning as a Christian. I think it's a, it's a blessing that we get up and you know we we tell God we're thankful for this day and you know this is the day that the Lord has made. I will rejoice and be glad in it. And then we take time to pray and we take time to read scripture. And then the day starts, you know, and within like 30 minutes to an hour, you know, by happenstance, we kind of forget our spiritual mode, if you will. Right. And then we're in the worldly mode. So I think what, what God, in agreement to what you're saying, I think what God is trying to show us is that even people that were super close to Jesus, that were with him every single day, mm-hmm. when they're in the flesh at that moment, when their faith is not that strong yet, they could, you know, misconceive that Jesus could be right in front of them and they don't realize it. So yeah, I agree. Their their faith was it still needed to grow for yeah, sure. It's fascinating. We encourage you to uh, you're listening to I'll read this as well and try to come up with you know your own explanation because it is a little weird, quirky fact that you see when you read the accounts after the resurrection that so many people, including Mary and the disciples, and you know they just didn't recognize him in the right way. And why is that? Um, now that we know the speaker audience and context, the SPAC of our um, acronym, we can get to the E, the explanation. And, you know, just to set the, set the tone and, and the scene, this is right after um, Jesus has prepared breakfast for his disciples, and he has this conversation with Peter, that's our scripture reading for today. And, you know, to, to break it down sort of into a, um, you know, it's, it's transcript form, if you will, let's go through it again. You know, Jesus says, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? Peter says, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. And Jesus says, tend my lambs. And then he says again, Simon, son of John, do you love me? And Peter says, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. And Jesus says, shepherd my sheep. And then the third time, Jesus says, Simon, son of John, do you love me? And Peter, you know, who is grieved because he asked him three times, says, Lord, you know all things. You know that I love you. And then Jesus says, tend my sheep. So, you know, Andy, there, there were several questions that came into my mind when, when we're reading this in that church, in that church service that it, it sort of immediately popped into my mind, and maybe some of the listeners at home can relate to this. When, when you go somewhere and you hear someone else preaching or teaching on the Bible, you know, if you have started to study the kingdom truths and gotten into the strong, strong meat of the word, you know, you're, you're hungry for more. And as soon as you hear things that sort of raise questions in your mind, you know, you want to dig in and you're kind of waiting to, to get to dig in. And in this case, you know, I had all these questions that popped into my head that I wanted to run home and, you know, get out my helps books and, and try to figure out. And I was hoping that maybe, you know, I, I would get some of the answers to that. And, 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 and the uh, preacher went a different way, which again is fine. But when I got home, these were the questions that were on my mind. Question number one, why did Jesus ask him the same question three times? That's a pretty obvious question. Like, why three times, right? Number two, what does Jesus mean when he asked Peter if he loves him? Like, what is he trying to say? Question number three, why does Jesus switch from lambs to sheep? Yeah. And question number four, why does he change verbs from tend to shepherd? So all four of those questions are in my mind and, and uh, I'm hungry for them. So later on, you know, um, we uh, built the foundation of this lesson. So we're going to explore each question. Excellent, Jordan. Excellent questions. And I'm sure that everyone listening today is excited to, in anticipation to see what we're going to say. So I'll start with the first question. Why did Jesus ask Peter the same question three times? Well, let's look at the points here. Let's look at what we know as facts. Peter denied Jesus three times. Right. Right? So if he denied him three times, in a way you could say, 
you know, he gave him a chance to reconcile and say, mm-hmm. I love you, Lord, Walk three times, right? Exactly. And the third time we read, and this is in Luke 22, 61 to 62, it says, the Lord turned and looked at Peter and Peter remembered the word of the Lord, how he had told him before a rooster crows today, you will deny me three times. And he went out and wept bitterly. I mean, that was like a broken heart weep, you know, like you can't breathe type of crack. Right. So almost like reversing the damage, if you will, by equal measure, Peter is allowed to reverse his denial by stating that he loved Jesus three times. I mean, and a simple answer for three as well, you know, three is a divine number, three is the Trinity. Uh, we are a triune being, you know, yep. a mind, body, and spirit. So, you know, there's a lot of things to do with three, but I think that explanation probably is, is the best one because because Peter had, a, you know, Peter had that negative experience, and Jesus is kind of giving him a chance to, like you said, um, by equal measure, walk it back by saying he loves him three times. So second question, why does, what does Jesus mean when he asks Peter if he loves him? Like, what's his point? And, you know, this is pretty fascinating, because in the Greek, the translation changes significantly. You know, um, if you've heard previous lessons that we've done, you know, we've, we've taught about um, the word love in English, and how it could be potentially four different words in the New Testament Greek. And just to recap that briefly, there are four kinds of love in Greek, all translated love in English. Um, eros, which is desire, from which we get our word erotic. There's starge, which is love of family. There's philia, which is friendship or brotherly love. And then there's agape or agape, which is perfect love, the highest form of love, unconditional love, and God's love. So in this passage, if you look at it in the original text, Jesus uses the Greek word agapeo or agapao, which is a form of agape, which is the, that fourth type of love that I spoke about. And he uses that word the first two times that he says, do you love me? Peter responds each time by using the word phileo, ah. which is a form of philia, which is, which is brotherly love. And then in the last exchange, both Jesus and Peter use phileo, phileo, which they're both saying brotherly love. Maybe you can, uh, just to kind of recap that, Andy, you can kind of reread uh, the key part there, but do it with the, the flavor of the Greek added. Sure. So what basically Jordan's asking me to do is, instead of just using the word love, 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 love over and over and over again, let's look at it in the same tone that Jesus wanted us to understand. So in other words, we're going to look at the Greek words and plug them into English here so we have a better better idea, better right. feel for what this conversation was like. So Jesus starts off by saying, Simon, son of John, do you perfectly, unconditionally, in a sacrificing way, love me more than these? And Peter comes back and says, yes, Lord, you know that I love you like a brother. Then Jesus says, Simon, son of John, do you perfectly, unconditionally, in a sacrificial way, love me? And Peter says, yes, Lord, you know that I love you like a brother. Again, different Greek word. It's very important to notice. But then the third time around, Jesus says, okay, Simon, son of John, do you love me like a brother? And then Peter comes back and says, Lord, you know all things. You know that I love you like a brother. Right. So let's get into that a little bit, Jordan. What, what do you make of those? Yeah, like why, right? Yeah. Yeah. So looking at the Greek, you know, we can kind of get to a deeper message here. And you know, I, I think that Jesus isn't just emphasizing a point or matching Peter's denial with three affirmations, although that was also going on here. I think he's subtly pushing Peter towards that higher agape love, agape love. It's like he's nudging Peter, you know, from a love based in friendship. And of course, it's true that Peter loved him like a brother, you know, 
to a, a higher love with no limits, no conditions, sort of a type of perfect godly love that would be required for him to go the distance as an apostle. An apostle means messenger, representative of Jesus Christ once he ascended. And, you know, and, and tellingly, right after this exchange, um, Jesus actually prophesies Peter's death, sort of giving you that sense of he's preparing him to go the distance as an apostle. The distance meaning he was going to actually die for the faith. He says, Truly, truly, I say to you, Peter, when you were younger, you used to gird yourself and walk wherever you wished. But when you grow old, you will stretch out your hands and someone else will gird you and bring you to where you do not wish to go. In other words, you're going to be arrested and taken into custody. Sure. And, and it says um, after that, now this he said, signifying by what kind of death Peter would glorify God. That's John 21, 18 and 19. And then Jesus said a few chapters earlier in John 15, 13, greater love, and again, that word love is agape, has no one than this, that one lay down his life for his friends. So you put scripture together and you kind of see where he was going with this shifting of the word love. Yeah, great points, Jordan, really. And, um, you know, going back, I kind of like what happened here in this exchange. You know, Jesus said, do you sacrificially love me? And Peter didn't lie this time. He's like, you know, I love you like a brother. And then Jesus said again, but do you you love me in a sacrificial, unconditional way? And he would have loved to have said, yes, I do. But he knew that about 40 days earlier, he didn't love him in an agape way. And he said, no, you know, I love you like a brother. Right. You know what I'm saying? You know the truth. And then Jesus said, okay, do you love me like a brother? And then Peter said, you know everything, Lord. I love you like a brother. So like, I'm not going to lie to you. you. You know everything, so exactly, I'm not going to lie to you. Right? Exactly. And that's really what happened here. Right. You know, Peter was being honest. You know, maybe for the first, he knew that Jesus could see his heart and he was just being honest. So anyway, moving on. Why does Jesus, another question, why does Jesus switch from the word lambs to the word sheep. Great question. And he's in the context here. So again, we have to look at the Greek. In the Greek, he shifts from lambs, which the word here is arneon, and to sheep, which is the word prabaton. Now, originally sheep referred to Israel. We know this according to scripture. We've studied this in the past as well. Go into Matthew chapter 10, verses 5 to 6. It reads like this. Do not go in the way of the Gentiles. This is Jesus speaking. And do not enter any city of the Samaritans, but rather go only to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. There's that word sheep. And then later, Jesus foreshadowed the ingrafting of the Gentile believers, also in the book of John, chapter 10, verses 15 to 16. He says, I lay down my life for the sheep. I have other sheep which are not of this fold. I must bring them also, and they will hear my voice. And they will also become one flock with one shepherd. Now, this culminated in the second commission he gave to the disciples later on, which we also know as being the Great Commission. And this is the one that that happened at the end of the book of Matthew. And it's also occurring about the same time as Jesus' conversation with Peter at this time. And again, I'll read that, okay? I'm going to go back to this. It's at the end of Matthew 28, verse 19. Go therefore and make disciples of all the nations baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Yeah, so again, the question becomes, what's the difference between lambs, now that you've described uh, sheep, lambs and sheep, right? So why did Jesus switch terms? And, you know, and and, uh, the simple answer is a lamb, or it can also be translated little lamb, is basically a baby sheep. And that's the simple answer to it. 
Lambs signify beginners in the faith or spiritual babies, while sheep signify those who are more mature in the faith or spiritual grown-ups. You know, this could also be a reference to the Gentile sheep, as you mentioned uh, briefly, who were about to join the Jewish flock. They were new to the true faith, if you look at the faith continuously coming through Israel, and thus they were going to be brand new spiritual babies. They had, again, they had never had any experience with, with God. They had worshipped pagan gods. Okay, so in context for our listeners, when they go home, or if they are home and they want to study these verses again, when they read this, they need to kind of plug in mentally that when, when the Lord is talking about, you know, taking care of his sheep, he's telling Peter to take care of the more mature, older Christians. And when he's mentioning the lambs, he's probably referencing to new Christians, new converts. Right, the babies. So, Andy, our fourth and final question is, why does Jesus change verbs from tend to shepherd? Well, tend in the Greek means to feed, and baby sheep that we just talked about, little lambs, they need milk. Next, Jesus tells Peter, shepherd my sheep, and shepherd in the Greek means to oversee or to supervise, and adolescent or maturing Christians need supervision, you know, parenting in a sense. There's also a sense of feeding embedded in this Greek word as well, which speaks to weaning and transitioning to more solid food. Finally, the third time Jesus says, tend or feed my sheep, and you know, adult sheep need food as well, and that food should be meat. So we see this shift from baby Christians feeding on the milk of the gift of salvation, the shift to mature Christians pressing on toward the prize of the calling of the kingdom. Here in John 21, Jesus is giving Peter the full picture of his new role as an apostle, a shepherd of the flock. He's to feed the new lamb's milk, supervise the adolescent sheep as they grow in the faith, and also feed the adult sheep the meat that they need to press on and heed the call to be worthy of the upward call to the kingdom. So thinking about ourselves, Andy, we need to see where we are in our sheep life cycle, if you will, and understand what we should be feeding on at this point in our spiritual maturity. Great points, Jordan. You know, if we are shepherds or teachers and leaders, we also need to examine what we are feeding our flocks. And the question is, are the adult sheep getting proper meat? I think everyone needs to ask that, every mature Christian. Or are you still feeding the milk even after all this time? You know, immature Christians need to be eating meat and bearing fruit, producing gold quality work so they can earn the right to rule and reign with King Jesus. And that's our ultimate goal. And that's our lesson, which means we have just a few minutes to explain our initiative, Get 20, Give 20. Get 20 is our reminder that you can get a 20-minute Bible study anytime you like by visiting our website. We archive all lessons and make them available for free at 20minutebiblestudies.org. You can listen online or download them for later or even subscribe to the podcast version and have new lessons automatically delivered to your favorite smart device. Even more important, our website is the place where you can join in our Bible studies by sharing your comments and asking any questions you may have. And we have a growing Facebook community and a discussion forum. When you're on our site, you should also sign up for email alerts so we can let you know when new lessons have been added. Also, when you sign up for email alerts, our first email back to you will include a link to a special series we put together titled 10 Mind-Blowing Things You Didn't Know Were in the Bible. It's an eye-opening set of Bible lessons, and it's our little thank you for joining our online community. It's all online at 20minutebiblestudies.org. Or, if you don't want to type so much, 20mbs.org will get you there faster. Moving on to Give 20. This is our special initiative to reach as many spiritually hungry Christians as we can. We know so many Christians find it hard to make time to study God's Word and then feel guilty they're unable to do it. Studying the Word of God is so vital to our spiritual growth. 
and yet it can be so hard sometimes to find a good study group and then attend that group on a regular basis. This is why we created 20-Minute Bible Studies. Everyone can find 20 minutes for God, and now, with this audio program, that's all Christians will need. Thanks for joining us for another 20-Minute Bible Study. Special thanks to the family of Pastor Gary T. Whipple, to the Abundant Life Worship Center for the music for our show, and to Tom Pine for our scripture reading. I'm Steve Zioli, and until next time, may the Word of Christ dwell in you richly. Amazing grace, how sweet the sound. Mysteries of the Kingdom Incorporated.